0: Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60 or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop thirty, sixty, or even a hundred times what was sown. He said to them, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. It's a lot of parables, but they're all linked together. It'd be hard to preach one without preaching the others, and that's why we are where we are today, in a longer passage. But I'm entitling the, sermons to, the sermon today, Expectations a Bit Too Great. Expectations a Bit Too Great. And really, the theme of the sermon, if there is one, is the theme of evangelism. And perhaps you noticed it in that stream of parables, that what's at the center of the whole thing is how the Word goes out, how it's received, and how it multiplies. And so we're going to talk today about evangelism. But I think when it comes to evangelism in the church, and the way we've been talking about it, especially in recent years, and when I say recent, I mean going back to the 60s or 70s, I think our expectations on ourselves for what evangelism means have been a bit too great. Now, that is not to say that we are not to evangelize. It's the question of how We are called to evangelize what evangelism is and what we can expect from our faithfulness in these respects. And I believe that in this cluster of parables that we've read together, Jesus is highlighting three areas of concern when it comes to evangelism. We're going to talk today about the problem in evangelism, the promise for evangelism, and the product of evangelism according to these parables of Jesus. The problem, the promise... And the product we're going to begin with the question of the problem in evangelism what is the problem in evangelism and interestingly enough it's a problem in Jesus day apparently it seems to have been a problem in the days of the church to whom mark wrote because remember the gospel according to mark was written about 30 40 some would say 50 years after the ministry of Jesus so it seems to still be an issue in the church to whom mark was writing And I dare say it continues to be a difficulty for us. And we can see it in those description of... There are six soils in the parable, right? Six soils. Three unproductive soils and three very productive soils, right? But just about all the language of the parable is spent on the unproductive soils. The deceptively productive soils. The soils that look like they might be producing something only to find out that they don't have what it takes to go the full distance to produce seed. And so we find right here in the gospel, as he was scattering seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. Jesus is surrounded at this point with so many people that he can't even preach in their midst. He has to, as he's done once before, get on a boat and back himself into the water just to create the space to teach. So he is flooded with people. But at the same time, he's hit controversies, right? He's been fighting with the Pharisees. He's been arguing with the teachers of the law. Even his own family, in the, immediately, in the story that immediately precedes this, came out and thought he was out of his mind. So there's a lot of responses to Jesus. He's very popular with a certain set of people, and he is very unpopular with another, in this society, more respectable set of people. And so the question is, why? If this is the truth of God, and it's God himself, or at least to this point in the gospel, a prophet, the Messiah of God himself, sharing this testimony, why isn't it working better? And can we trust the crowds? to be true converts here these are all the questions spinning in the life of jesus and jesus tells us at least two things first the folks who have rejected me outright they're like path thrown they're like seed thrown on a path satan whisks the seed away before it can take any root now the rest of you who are here A great many who look like they're flourishing right now are going to fall away. And a matter of fact, as the gospel goes on, the crowds begin to thin from this point in the the gospel to the point that when Jesus is on the cross, even his own disciples... Now, thankfully, the gospel of John was written and we find out John was actually there at the cross. But in Mark, none of the disciples are narrated as being there. They have completely forsaken him to die alone. There's very little good soil in Mark. And that's the problem of evangelism. The problem of sharing the Word of God is that so many either reject it outright or fail to persevere through times of trial and doubt and temptation. And they fail to produce a crop. That was true in Jesus' ministry. It's true, apparently, in the life of the church to whom Mark was writing. And it's true today in the church of Jesus Christ that when we share the Word, there are many who reject it. Many who initially respond but cannot go the distance for various reasons. This is the problem in evangelism. The failure for it to take root, the frustration that comes with putting all this time and energy and then finding no product of the things we've done. Maybe even the opposite. Seeing people apparently worse off in their faith than they were before we first witnessed to them. Have you been there? Happens in our own families. Happens with our friends. This is the problem in evangelism, and Jesus does not deny it. He makes no promises that there will be no rejection. Rejection, resistance, inconstancy, and even falling away are to be expected. The principal problem which Jesus addresses in the parable is the gospel's frequent lack of produce. You see, Jesus seems to indicate that effective evangelism often results in rejection. Effective evangelism often results in rejection. And so an effective evangelist cannot be, in the light of the parable of the sower, described as someone who makes a lot of converts. Effective evangelism is about a person who sows a lot of seeds. We'll talk more about that. But the problem in evangelism is the consistency of the rejection that comes initially. But there's a promise for evangelism, and we see it there in chapter 4 and verses 8 and 9. And it's this simply. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. So the promise for evangelism is that there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. If we sow seed, there will be a harvest. So that's that's important. If you're a farmer, you might recognize something that's not here in any of these parables. How many farmers just go out, toss seed, and go to bed? Do farmers do that? Even in Jesus' day, this image of agriculture, of planting seeds and farming was often used by wisdom teachers, by spiritual leaders to describe the process of discipleship. And we see it in Roman writers, we see it in Greek writers, we see it in Jewish writers. But whenever they use agriculture as their metaphor for how you make disciples or you grow people up in a certain area of knowledge, they always talk about tilling the soil. They always talk about weeding. They always talk about watering. They always talk about how you prevent the wrong things from getting in and choking out the life and all that sort of thing. But Jesus, and this must have stood out to them because most of them were probably farmers, doesn't talk at all about that. A matter of fact, in the the second parable on sowing, he says, this is verse 26... This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he doesn't know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stock, then the head, and then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. Is that your experience of farming? Why does Jesus do that? Why doesn't he talk about the tilling, and the weeding, and the watering, and the cultivating? How does he know that there's going to be soil out there where this just stuff will just sprout? How could Jesus be certain of that? And why take all the emphasis off of all the work that normally goes into growing crops? Well, let me suggest that Jesus knows something that he's revealed to us, but we wouldn't know if he did. not And that is that we hunger for the gospel. Not just you and me who are here today. The world hungers for the gospel. We are not alone when we speak it. And we are not alone when we preach it. But John 16 verse 8 says this. When he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. On this last night, when Jesus is talking to his disciples before he's crucified, he promises them that the Holy Spirit will be sent, and he will do three things. He will convict the world of guilt. He will create an awareness in the people of the world that they are out of step with what they should be. He will also convict the world of righteousness. When Jesus was here, he, he could show us righteousness. But in His absence, we'll need someone to remind us of the right. The Holy Spirit is Jesus' promise to do that. And Jesus promises that he will, the Holy Spirit will inspire people with the understanding of judgment, that somehow people will get the idea that they are tethered to an out-of-control train that is going over a cliff. There's a sense of that inside all people, not because it's naturally there, not because it comes to us through our genes, but because the Holy Spirit is in the world. And so when we preach the gospel, we don't bring God to the people. He's there. We bring the Word. The Holy Spirit's before us. And it's not just that. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. Not only is the Holy Spirit doing something inside of us, But God has left a fingerprint on all that is outside of us. And somehow, Paul can say that a world who rejects Jesus knows the truth on some level that the gospel reveals. There's something about this that resonates. We might hate every inch of it, but there's something that resonates. The problem in evangelism is all the rejection we get when we share the truth of Jesus. But the promise for evangelism is that there will be a harvest because we do not make this testimony alone. And it is not up to us to cultivate the fields. What's the product of evangelism? Chapter 4, verses 30 to 34. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He didn't say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Now, lots of ink has been spilled in the history of Christianity trying to decide why Jesus would call this the smallest of seeds when, in fact, we know it's not the smallest seed there is. Lots of debate over that. It hardly seems important to me. If the people in Israel thought it was the smallest seed, why would you bring them up on botany and all that stuff to levels that they don't currently have? But mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds in the ancient world that was deliberately planted in gardens. But it was not a well-liked plant. And that's the insight that's amazing to me. A a Roman historian, and he was sort of, we would call him a Renaissance man, though that would be way early to call him it in his own day. But he knew a little bit about everything. His name was Pliny the Elder. He wrote about nature. He wrote about animals. He wrote, wrote about plants. He wrote about history. He wrote about philosophy. Just kind of a prolific writer. And he lived at the time of Jesus. He was born in 23 A.D., So just near the end of Jesus' life, and he lived to 79 A.D., near to the end of the New Testament period. So he's right from this time, and he talks about the mustard seed. And this is what Pliny the Elder says. This is his natural history where he writes this. Mustard, with its pungent taste and fiery effect, grows entirely wild, though it is improved by being transplanted. But on the other hand, when it has once been sown, it's scarcely possible to get the place free of it, as the seed, when it falls, germinates at once. And he goes on to describe this thorny, difficult-to-eradicate pain in the neck plant. So the commentator Ben Witherington III argues that essentially Jesus has said the kingdom of heaven is like a weed. It's like a weed. That's interesting, isn't it? Because remember when he was talking about sowing the seed, he never talked about cultivating the land, he never talked about plowing the fields, he never talked about watering and all that. Anybody here ever cultivated your lawn for dandelions? Have you ever done that? You see, we thought all this time we were talking about wheat, or apples, or tomatoes, and it sounds ridiculous to just throw those seeds and trust they'll do their thing. But weeds, weeds are different. Weeds start small, but no one has to work very hard for a weed to grow. This may explain why there's not much talk of preparation in Jesus' parable. The problem in evangelism is the rejection. But that's not a reason not to share. Because the promise for evangelism that Jesus makes is that there will be a crop. As many thorny soil, rocky soil, path, people that are out there, there will be good soil. You must sow this seed. And when it finds root, it will grow much faster. You notice that 30, 60, 100 times? You think, what kind of wheat does that? We need to get us... Well, dandelions do that. (laughs) Weeds do that. And the kingdom of heaven is like a weed. And the product of evangelism is an insidious little thing that once it takes root, cannot be eradicated. And who could have imagined? There's no way those disciples who heard that story, looking at the life they were living right then, could have imagined that today, two billion people in the world would believe in Jesus. Never mind all those who have believed for the last 2,000 years in the church. It has done exactly what Jesus said it would do against all odds. It's done it. So what's the gospel we're to share? In the end, I'm convinced we're to introduce them in a very abbreviated form to what they will only find at the feet of the prophets and apostles. And I think we can go to the scriptures to memorize a passage that can be the introduction to the gospel we're talking about. I think we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm going to begin reading in verse 3. This is the Apostle Paul writing, explaining the heart of the gospel to the Corinthians, who he believes have begun to reject the heart of the gospel, because they've denied that Jesus rose from the dead. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as one abnormally born. This is the gospel. This is the seed that we sow, that Christ died for us, according to the scriptures, that he was dead, buried, and on the third day he rose from the dead, according to the scriptures, and in his resurrected body, he appeared to 12 people, to 500 people, then to all together, then to James, then to Paul. And the entire New Testament church was built on the testimony of those eyewitnesses. This is the gospel. We are not tasked with persuading people to believe the gospel. We are tasked with delivering the gospel to them because it will resonate and it will find good soil.